this time I watched it, I see a different, different uh, portrayal of the film. And I was able to understand why he was the way he was and why he became completely addicted to cocaine, you know, why he was so violent. You know, when he walked in that door and walked into her life for the first time while they were in America, you just knew it was just going to end up bad. Welcome to the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, a crime world special where we'll be discussing our favourite gangster films with special guests. Each week for the next five, we'll choose two movies from our top ten to review, to rate and to remember. But we want your thoughts too, so go on to our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter or on Instagram to vote for your favourites and be in with a chance to win tickets to a special live show and party. This week, I'm chatting with podcasters James Leonard and Timmy Long of the Two Narries, who both once lived a life of crime. They take a different look at the crime classics Donny Brasco and Scarface. This is the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, only on Crime World. So we were talking, and we might as well talk for the listeners as well, about that interesting period when... Fidel Castro opened up the jails and now I mean I'd say that's a little bit there's a bit of truth in that not totally but mm. he he basically said to loads of people in Cuba right go if you want to go go and I was just reading that 125,000 of them actually landed in Florida and Miami many of them were out of the prisons and the what they then called mental asylums but that's where we start mm. Scarface mm. Yeah. you know uh, in the camps and um, I'll Capone, sorry, it's based on obviously loosely, but um, yeah. uh, Tony Montana is landed in the camp and he's hungry, isn't he? Yeah, he's a hungry man. Um, from the beginning, he knew that he had a dream, what he wanted to go on and become, you know, and um, you could see the, the, the hunger in his face from, mm. the, from the beginning, looking at the other Cubans, you know, guys that have been there for years driving around in the fancy cars and the watches and the suits and stuff and going to all these clubs with, with, with good looking women and stuff like that and um, you could see like that this fella meant business like you know mm. um, and I suppose it, when you're looking at something like that it could be that's Miami mm. you go up to Knocknaheny is the same thing you go up to Ballymun you go to any part of Ireland where there's young lads around the states and they're looking at older lads who are involved in criminality and drugs and Mm. stuff like that and they're driving nice cars, wearing nice clothes. It's the exact same thing. Mm. You know, a lot of the lads mightn't be educated. Tony Montana wasn't educated. He couldn't read, he couldn't couldn't spell, you know, he couldn't write. And a lot of these lads in the streets are the same thing and Mm. they have absolutely no way out. You know, and their way out is by making money through criminality and getting involved in drugs. And but you know, when you think about uh, when you think about a Cuba at the time as well, it was like a communist state. Yeah. So like when you look at when you look from the outside, the Cubans are looking at the brands, the Nikes, the Coca Colas, the Pepsi's, the McDonald's. They have nothing like that in their home. Do you know? Mm. And it was just a lot of persecution and stuff like that. So, like, America's the, the American dream, do you know what I mean? Like, that's something we all live up to. We all want to aspire to have, yeah. you know, good, nice things, have a comfortable life. And for them, it's like, 
it's like from here to England, it's only across the water. There yeah. isn't touching distance and you see it on the horizon. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're always trying to get on the boat over, you know. Yeah. And then Castro gave him the opportunity to go. Yeah. But I'd say like no more like a lot of Irish going from Spike Island to Van Diemen's land back in the day, emptied prisons. But a lot of those people would be in there for innocuous stuff. Probably, and he, yeah. He, you know, stupid stuff. Maybe they spoke bad about Castro or they were locked up in prison mm. or they robbed something stupid or they didn't pay the tax to end up in prison. But then, obviously, there probably is a few lunatics there as well, you yeah. know. And America inherited them Florida, didn't you? Yeah. And what sort of... Um, how many times you watched Scarface? Jesus, Zero. back in the day, I would have watched it frequently because... Um, because when I was in that life... Visualise what you want to be. <laughs> no, I expected to answer it like that. So back in the day, you would have watched it totally. Back in the... No, watch it now. When I, back in the drinking and drug days, when I, when I was um, uh, uh, using alcohol and drugs, I would have, I would have uh, watched it, you know, if it was on the telly or whatever. But um, I watched it recently again because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And funny enough, this time I watched it, I see a different, different uh, portrayal of the film. Right. You know, because my my lenses this time are completely different to the lens I, I looked at them years ago. And I was able to understand why he was the way he was and mm. why he became completely addicted to cocaine, you know, why he was so violent. Even the mother situation, his mother... You know, his mother didn't want him near the younger sibling. That's right, yeah. Because, yeah. because she knew what he was like. She knew that he was um, a, vi a violent criminal, you know, and, and he, he, he obviously done a lot of, of uh, crazy and dangerous things to people when he, he lived in, in Cuba. So before, he was always, so he wasn't one of the kind of guys that was in for petty crime, obviously. No. We're talking about a fictional character yeah. here, but nonetheless... Yeah. Um, Yes, she could see that he had obviously done. There was this sort of background hinted at mm. that she knew that he was capable of anything yeah. and of turning anyone. She didn't want the daughter. Exactly. And, and what you have to look at then as well, right? Um, when you have an older sibling in a family who's mm. involved in criminality and drugs and you have younger siblings watching this the farm, she she respected her older brother for who he was, and who, he, and I I can relate to it through mm -hmm. my own family, you know, growing up, you know, um, and and her own only kind of means of of, of keeping up her own, her own drug habits and and moving in that direction was drugs, mm -hmm. you know, it was drugs and criminality, and um, I could completely see it, but. It was it was sad as well to see something that like the minute she he walked into her life, you know, when he walked in that door and walked into her life for the first time while they were in America, you just knew because be bad, of the way yeah. it was just gonna end up yeah. bad. You know, and um as the film went on it showed that and different things started to happen mm. and um you know, um that's what happened. And how really. did you watch it before? Like, did you watch it as in kind of... No, before, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I, 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 I was just amazed. I think when you're, when you're immature mm. and when you're involved in drugs and crime, like myself and Timmy were, mm. you look at that and you'll think there's an element of coolness about this. Mm. He doesn't give a fuck about nobody. He's doing his own thing. He has the mm. beautiful woman. He's all that coke. He's all his power and guns. And that, 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 that people look up to that. 
But when you get a bit older and you, you have the real life consequences of that life, you look at that then through a different lens, as Timmy so mm. eloquently put that. It's mm. like, it's, you know, the reality that's involved there and the reality of the people that you speak about in your podcast and some of the testimonies we have on ours is like, there is nothing glamorous about that lifestyle. And he found out too. His family members was killed, his mm. friend. And even before he's on, there's the paranoia, mm. like you can't enjoy anything. You know, you're dealing with just people being backstabbed left, right and centre. You know, so it's just... Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of up to the viewer, I suppose, isn't it? it the, the movie is such a kind of an epic and, you yeah. know, it stood the test of time and everything, but it's up to the viewer how they approach it. Absolutely. Almost. It's laid bare on screen, everything, and they don't actually push an agenda on you in Scarface. It's just the story is laid bare and it's up to you how to... And Oliver Stone is actually very good at historical stuff as well. Like He does a lot of documentaries where like he's very interested in historical stuff and critiquing the American government and stuff like that. Mm. So like obviously it's a dramatisation of probably what could actually happen and probably it just a microcosm of what probably happens all the time. And because of where Florida is situated as well and the Caribbean where all these poor countries and Jamaica and Haitians mm. coming in and Cubans coming in, you know, it's just a powder keg, you know. It wasn't Miami the place where really cocaine landed and yeah. it all blew up mm. there and of course Remember the, flying it in. From Blow? Yeah. That was Miami based as well, wasn't he? Yeah. He was coming through Miami as well. Yeah. It's strategic, yeah. like, in, in terms of the entry into America as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So lots of kind of opportunities in those. And it's set in, it was released in 1983. When is it set? I'd say the 70s. Mm. I'd say late, late 70s, early 80s, I'd say. Because weirdly, when I was looking at it up, because it says it's loosely based on a book, a 1932 film. Mm. But there's no way it's set, surely, yeah. in 1932. It must have been the story. Of they the just adapted it. Yeah. You, know, you, you know, back in the 80s, when cocaine did become a massive problem in America, in the early 80s, I suppose they were basing it off the, the massive scale of, of, of cocaine distribution over there as well yeah. and there there's obviously some there's listen I'm, I'm sure there's been dozens and dozens of Tony Montana's since yeah, like yeah. real life Tony Montana's like you've Pablo Escobar mm -hmm. like listen they're still trying to find that man's money it's buried you know Chapo. Um, El Chapo took a plane out of the sky um, you, you Escobar know. you know with people in it and, and he's, he's he's supposed to be responsible for killing thousands of police officers as well and 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 army personnel and so like and there was a big conspiracy as well around this time late seventies early eighties with the again with the CIA like um, uh, colluding with um, rebels in Central America to overthrow left wing governments and they were allowing them basically to bring cocaine into the United States mm. so that they could fund mm -hmm. the war. And basically, it was America's way of installing a right-wing dictator in that country because anything but communism, you know, or socialism. But there was a huge controversy around crack cocaine coming into America and the facilitation of that by the CIA into black communities because it's like keep yeah. it keep it over there. Do you know what I mean? Um, and there was a, there's a loads of things about that. But uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, he was like a black gangster guy in South Central LA, but he was like meant to be the cause of the crack epidemic but when you look under the surface it was actually the CIA was facilitating these Nicaraguans yeah. you know what I mean to bring mm -hmm. it in mm -hmm. and they were only giving it to him yeah. he was only like a spoke in a wheel and it always amazes me like when you see a deal on the street you know happening and it's like um, 
the idea of the police moving in to stop that, when you start looking at the bigger, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger, bigger story, it just becomes this global, yeah. and, 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 you know, drugs funds terrorism. You have all the politics in every mm. different country. You have Colombia, yeah. where the farmers have been let mm. down. You've just so much going Actually, on. Actually, a good documentary on the Colombians is um, Banana Land. It's about, um, and I know we digress, so I keep it short, but Banana yeah, Land, it's about uh, bananas, and like it being like a blood diamond, a blood crop, you know? Yeah. So American Fruit, which are a big fruit company in America, and others, Fives and stuff like that, they go into Colombia and they're allowed in by the right-wing government, right? They go into the land, they move the locals off the land, and they farm the land to death. And once the land is no more good, they move on, they move the locals off the land, they farm it to death for bananas. And then you have the gorillas then helping the people do you know the FARC rebels? Do you remember they were trained? A couple of IRA men got caught. Yes. They're, they're, being, they're, they're fighting the resistance against the government and the American corporations coming in. It was a fascinating documentary. Yeah, and then there was, of course, a peace deal when they said they'd replant for the farmers and they, they reneged on that. They never did it, so they all just grow mm. more and more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so it is just, it is such a global thing and it seems sort of nonsensical sometimes to talk mm. about the small problems on the ground. But even I, when, you, when you think about it, when you think about cocaine back then, right, there's more cocaine in Ireland today than there ever was mm. and all the money that's had to be spent on a war on drugs and where are we with it, like, do you know? Mm. We've never been worse no, with cocaine at the moment. Never, never. Do you have any admiration for a character like Tony Montana or understanding of him? You talk about people coming from communities where there's nothing. Mm. There is that sort of... Um, there. Admiration. I, uh, listen, I think somebody like Tony Montana could have made it in any industry because he had balls, okay? He wasn't a smart man. He was a very violent man. I don't admire him. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for him because of, of the, the lifestyle he had. Um, and obviously he became that way because shit may have happened to him when he was young and, and, and turned him into that kind of person he became. You know, but... He kind of got eaten up by the world, didn't he? And he became yes. this monster and, you know, he went for this... started working for this bigger coke dealer, worked mm. for him for a while. Then he did a very clever move mm. with your man's supplier, took him on, took him out and took his wife. Yeah. And then just became an even greater monster and just, like, was left with nobody. I mean, that famous end scene, that shootout, mm. uh, that's a real blokey scene. I'm just like, kind of, come on and finish it. And many more mm. people can die and many mm. more people can get up. I hate that scene, actually. He took about 100 uh, bullets as well, oh, didn't he? I know, like, you know, <laughs> but that, that, that kind of film was always going to end in, in something like that. Hail of gunfire. Just the complete madness, yeah. you know, it was never going to end. A, when in the place in the house, I know it was actually the puddle he... The pool rather than a puddle he um he falls in you know when they eventually on his 110th bullet that finally kills him <laughs> as he's still running around going, fuck you fuck you uh. he falls and it's the, it was a sign above this pond inside his beautiful mansion saying the world is yours yeah 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 yeah, yeah I see really that clever, yeah. Yeah. but he listen all he wanted was what other people had legitimately, but he didn't have the means to access it legitimately, and that's yeah. what. And it's the same with a lot of like ethnic groups in Ireland as well. Like the prisons is full of travellers and Romanians and Polish people and Nigerians and stuff like that because it's more difficult for them to get on main, mainstream, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was the same for the Irish in America as well. Mm -hmm. It's just like 
know, ethnic succession theory is something they talk about in criminology. And I know you did a bit of criminology, mm -hmm. but it's like the longer you are in a country, the more chance you have of going legitimate. So the Irish, like he was doing as a Cuban, what the Irish did a hundred years before. But within a hundred years then, there was an Irish president, the JFK. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, it just takes time for them to establish themselves legitimately. But he was the first generation, you know? Even you spoke about the guy that he killed, um, the bigger drug dealer, yes. the, the car, he owned the car dealership. I remember him saying something to him at one point, saying like, this. yeah, as, when you start getting greedy and, and you want to get bigger and bigger in this game, you won't last. You will, and, and that's what happens in the game. It's what happens in the game. Um, you either get caught up, and he's, and I think he had a few rules. I think there's a few rules on it, and one of the rules was don't get high on your own supply. Like. <laughs> yeah. But he got killed too, so he... Yeah, they're all killed. Like, okay. he's, he probably got them rules from the yeah, fella before yeah. him. It was just a continuation of, of, of just hearsay or whatever. But um, it's just one of those games that there's never a happy ending. But no. when you think about it, like, even never. in Ireland's context, since you've been working now, mm. how many Mr. Biggs has there been, like, if, like, this person makes the top, he gets whacked, then this person makes the top, he gets whacked, he gets whacked. None of them are 50, do you know what I mean? That's it. Most of the time, anyway. They're, and they're younger and younger at the moment as well. Fellas in their 20s becoming targets, do you know? So there's no and life in it. Another like. massive part of that as well is, is, is when you get in so deep, it's very hard to get out. It's mm. very hard to... To see to, your road out. Get, yeah, mm. because, like, if you leave yourself open and vulnerable because you're doing it, you know, it, it, you're, you're, you're leaving yourself wide open for attack then and for people to see the, 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 the real you, which may be a quiet and a soft person. But in that game, you can't be a quiet or a soft person. You have to be... Mm. You have to portray yourself as somebody who's angry, dangerous and willing to do whatever it takes to get whatever you want and to survive. And sometimes that's probably does fuel the cocaine yeah. taking to keep that sort of sense up because if you come down you're more vulnerable. Yeah, well cocaine like, like a, a lot like what cocaine does for people Nicola is is um gives them that false self of persona Mm. It gives them false confidence. It gives them, it gives them self-esteem, particularly when they're not. And a lot of people um, get highly, highly, highly addicted to it very, very quickly because it makes them feel good about themselves. Whereas when they're not honest, they may not feel good about themselves because they may have some mental health issue or something going on in their lives, or they may be grieving, and, and, and it does it, it does help them. You know, like alcohol helps people as well, but long-term, long-term long will take absolutely everything that you have. And I don't mean just financially, I mean family, I mean it'll destroy your mental health. You know, there's, there's something I, I question I always ask myself, right? I never had too much awareness before before anything, before I even used drugs, because I was completely cut off from everything. And I always ask myself, what kind of damage did I do to myself because of the amount of, the quantities of drugs I used? 
And it's not a question that I can answer because I was never somebody that knew how smart I was before mm. because I wasn't educated. I never knew how intellectually smart I was. But I've seen people who've used cocaine for a number of years, people who are highly educated and good, good people and very aware, broken, mm. completely broken, paranoid, can't string sentences together, you know, um, and that's what it does to people in the end. It I'd say it masks a lot of the fear as well, fellas, in that lifestyle, would, you, would have, like, when you sober up, the reality then that there's people trying to kill you, or the guards are wiring your house, or it's like when you take coke, it's like, fuck, I don't give a fuck, you know? Whereas, like, when you sober up, then the reality is there, and the reality is scary, so you have to block that out with something, you know? And I used to go into psychosis. Yeah. I used to go into psychosis, complete paranoia, James would have often seen me once or twice and I could be up for six, seven, eight days, no sleep, up in the attic. What so does it feel like? You don't know, because your, your, your mind is gone. Mm. You know, you're, you're awake and you're just keep, you just keep going, you know, but you find yourself searching the cupboards, looking, thinking that there's people there, you know, the curtain constantly, looking, peeping out to see, thinking... There was one time I was taught someone was going to come in the roof, the guards were going to come in down and in, in, in raid me or, or I was going to be shot and they were going to come in the skylight of the roof. You know, I was completely out so of my you mind. Remember that you remember it? Oh, you don't have any blackouts? I black out and drink. Mm. I never blacked out in drugs. <clears throat> Not I blacked out in alcohol and prescribed meds. On drugs, I rarely blacked out. Unless I was mixing prescribed meds with whiskey and cocaine. And I'd black out then because I'm overdoing it with the whiskey and the tablets and I'm not taking enough cocaine. And I would black out then and I'd lose a day or two. Mm. And, and more than likely I'd end up in a cell or a ditch somewhere in a car. You know, that's, that's how my life was. But um, towards the end of my using particularly through the cocaine, I was completely apparent. Not rightly so, no, I was too, because I'd lock on in my life, but I was completely gone. Like mm, mm. My head was gone, literally. Like, do you I couldn't leave the house. Yeah. Do you remember the head shops? Yeah. Yeah. Do, you know, well, do you remember the methadrone, the blow, yeah, snow yeah, blow? Yeah. Well, we were after getting a load of that one time, and now after about three or four days, you're up. Your body now is exhausted, but the mind is still alert. But then you start hearing things, you can start getting these crazy thoughts. That's kind of like what psychosis was for me. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're in, if you had a bit of rest, it's, it's not there. But when you're up for so many days and you're still taking the drugs, the, the mind starts to play tricks on you, you know? And you start seeing things that aren't there and you start hearing things. And you start, you know, adding things up in your head and joining dots that doesn't make sense, but it makes sense in that moment, you know? <laughs> It's a bit, you go a bit and that's obviously crazy. You then you know you go from A to B sometimes, and you you will attack a person, or you know yeah. you think you're defending yourself or whatever. Yeah, because it's a complete break. But you can imagine, like if if your life is under threat and you're like that, and you have yeah. access to weapons, you're a dangerous animal. Then absolutely, yeah. Where there's obviously no love lost for for uh, in Scarface because he isn't a very uh, admirable character. I thought Donnie Brasco and the idea that this is a real life guy who still exists, who still is out there telling mm. his story, mm. unbelievable what mm. he did. Yeah, went into the mafia and found out its secrets. Mm. I know. Undercover. He got hundreds convictions, which yeah. is a huge amount of people. You know. Yeah. 
Um, but the, the lines were blurred between police and mm. undercover agent and actually being somebody in the mafia, you know? And there's one scene where he has to dismember bodies. It's like, fucking hell, he's actually a police officer doing this, you know? And then he gets in a loyalty to one guy. He's kind of a uh, mentor in it. And, uh, this is Lefty Ruggiero, yeah, played by... Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yeah. Just to... To, for anybody who hasn't seen it to tell the story, this is a, a, a cop who is sort of placed, he's, he's trained up and he's sent into the mafia. They know <clears throat> the police know nothing about really what's going on with the mafia. And they decide they'll put somebody in undercover and he pretends to be a jewel thief. Mm. And he sort of sits around a bit and he's approached by this guy known as Lefty. Mm. And Lefty is part of the banan Bonan, Banano. Oh, sorry. Banano crime family. The Banano crime family having difficulties <laughs> here today. Should I nearly Not banana. <laughs> Not banana. But uh, yeah, so he's he's basically, he's taken on by this lefty who introduces him to everybody else and he starts to be able to come back and tell the FBI what's going on. Mm. He's in a very dangerous position. Um, he, Donnie Brasco, is married and returns to his wife and you can see that kind of falling apart. Mm. obviously because of the way he's living. He nearly becomes the gangster mm. he's pretending to be. Absolutely. Some strain on the relationship. Yeah. And your mental health, because it's very isolating for an FBI agent undercover like that. You can't tell nobody. Mm -hmm. And you're on your own, really. Like You I, have a handler, all right, like, that's looking mm. after you, but when you're in the thick of it and you're in meetings and there's guns and there's mm. people being whacked left, right and centre, there's nobody there. It's a very special scale, isn't it? It's, but he, it was played... Six but, years he but, did it. but you have yeah. to also look at it as well. Like, he obviously enjoyed some of it. Yeah. And he was obviously attracted to the yeah. lifestyle these lads had too because the respect they got. This is a guy, Danny Brasker's a guy who probably grew up and never got respect from nobody. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden he's part of this mafia group and he's getting respect right, right left and centre just because he's associated with these people. I, I'm sure there was a, a few occasions where he probably said to himself... I wish I actually wasn't in the position I'm in here now. I was part of this real family, like, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Because he, he enjoyed it because he was getting into it. He was really getting into the life. Well, I think, it? you know, if you're uh, a young for that, 22 years of age, driving fast cars with guns and money, and you've a Garda in Templemore wanting to drive a fast car with a gun, there's, there's not much of a difference between those two young fellas. Mm. They both want the same thing. That, that exciting life mm -hmm. and they're drawn into that but they're just on different sides of it mm -hmm. and for sure like he crossed over sides at times you know and it was you know it was played by Johnny Depp and I don't know the real Joe Pistone is your man's name in real life but uh, he was a very good looking guy he was very charismatic very personable great interpersonal skills you know uh, quick on his feet gifted a gab and uh, your man um, your man Ruggiero Lefty really took a shine to him you know and he played him like a fool. And in the end, it was, you know, it was the end of him as well because he was after bringing him into the family under, like, um, he was vouching for him, you yes. know? And he got him into all these meetings with the, the main bosses. And he there was a one stage then, um, there was a war going on between families. There was three leaders of three different families murdered and they were looking for revenge on the Banana family and the cop was in the middle of all them. And, and they were trying to make him a made man at that stage. Yeah. They liked him so much. <laughs> and that all came out of his information because they didn't actually... 
I'm trying to remember which bit was in the movie and which bit was the real life because I did listen to a couple of podcasts where Joseph D. Pistoni, as his name is, yeah. and he's still out there yeah. living with, they say, a $500,000 bounty on his head. Yeah. Um, and he does a little bit of media, actually, still. I he wouldn't does, mind yeah. having him on if I could yeah. find where he is. But he talks about, um, I think it's really, I think the movie is really quite, you know, quite close to what actually went on. Mm. But he talks about they decided to pull him out mm-hmm. and he was going to be a made man because that meant a made man is one of the main rules of the mafia that they never knew existed. Yeah. And if you're a made man, uh, nobody can attack you and nobody can. Yeah, it says you can't embarrass a made man uh, or you can't lay a hand on them. But think about the things that you have to do to, to, actually, get, there. to get there. And if he was made a made man, that's not a good look for the FBI. I know, because, and that's the thing, when he has to murder, to yeah. be made a made man, he has to go that one step further and yeah. show them that And they just intervened, yeah. the FBI just intervened when he, he was being put under pressure to kill this guy, and he just they, they just intervened then and, and arrested him like that, and even towards the end of it then as well, like, he, so many years involved in that, and the strain on his relationship, his time away from his kids, the pressure he was under, and he got a little medal and $500. Is that what he got? And he's looking, he he's looking at that and he's looking, <laughs> he's looking at the cheque for $500. He's looking but at like, his wife and kids and he's like, thinking like, was it worth this? Since he's, since he's probably sold his story and all the books he's wrote since yeah. then, he's probably after But they would have, millions. I'm sure, have had to kept him on in real life, had to yeah. keep him on a salary for the rest of oh, his yeah. days and Absolutely. move him and all the rest. Yeah. Of now, having said that, like, I don't think there's any money that could pay it to do that for six years. It was a different time and maybe because he was the first FBI uh, infiltrator into the mafia they weren't expecting him mm. so now that paranoia in all gangs is kind of like <laughs> but look at this look, look at this side of it okay we're talking about an era where there was no mobile phones or social media yeah. you could never ever get a guy into any organisation like that at the moment because everybody's life stories on social media you know they have to be completely unknown and and as you said turn from within you know it's not something that I was thinking recently to me as well like how can you be completely unknown because that is weird too like if you have no Mm. footprint on the at all of your life you know if you're a certain age there's Mm. no pictures of you there's no nothing it's a real red flag when somebody comes to you and you can't find a thing that's true too so how do Mm. they that's it was a big mistake mm-hmm. from the mafia, but it was a different time yeah. as well. It was a different time. Yeah. yeah, and he just took him at face value, and that was the fatal error, you know. Yeah, and you know it was costly, and it brought down the mafia more or less. But it's a brilliant movie. I it's really like it. Yeah. Scarface, like I will, I I will look at it every every now and then. No, no way. It's, it's a heavy traffic. It's, it's a bit more realistic, Danny Brasco. Yeah. Danny Brasco, yeah. I think, it's has, fantastic. Yeah. Has better cast it, as well. Yeah, yeah. Scarface is is really it's at the other end of the scale yeah. like it's completely chaotic it's mild from the moment totally yeah. you know your man is a fantastic actor yeah Al Pacino unbelievable what yeah. an actor like yeah. you know absolutely brilliant um, it is chaotic from the very very beginning he's mad no idea what's you going know, to it's, happen you it's, know it's like he's he even without cocaine in the system, he's like he's like a fellow wired. Yeah, he's that passionate about what he's going to do and where he's going with his life, you know. And um, like 
Even that image of him, uh, at the, you know, at the end with the gun, the big rifle, yeah. and then the big huge thing of cocaine, it's all over his face. Mm. There's an ugliness yeah. to that. And but the Danny Rosco one is a bit more like, it's a bit more realistic in terms of like, there's family dynamics there. Even your man Lefty, he, there's no big money being made on his part. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that I found really mm. interesting. And yeah. he's always on the take. Yeah. He gives him money at Christmas in an envelope and then he sort of says to him at the door, couldn't just borrow that? And he takes yeah. the money back. <laughs> yeah. And they're all giving one another money. And uh, all... like the, the, the bosses were probably loaded, but some of the generals and some of the foot soldiers, they weren't They loaded. were in the way. They, they were passing it, exactly, yeah. they were passing it over. Uh, that was the breaking point too, at yeah. the, around the time where they were just starting to get involved in drugs as well around that period weren't they like it was all gambling yeah, and prostitution some families and all were these. against the drugs yeah. and, were and, was, and that's why most of the fights were, were going on internally I don't know what the situation is today yeah I actually heard one of your podcast recently you were talking about um, Irish gangs where people are on a wage as well oh yeah Oh yeah. Is there such thing as Irish gangs still well, the abroad? The structure was always a wage. It was it? Yeah, always. And even in prison, there's a wage structure there. Well. But that is the mafia structure, you see. Mm. And everybody has a role, and they only do that job. Operates in cell structures, and no one cell knows what the other one is doing. So if one cell is taken down, they can't be a danger to the other cell. Mm. It's all taken from actually the mafia setup, mm. which is like incredibly intelligent way really to run a mm. criminal organisation but yeah yeah. so some look I mean I suppose the bigger these organisations get there has to be rules there has to be wage structures it can't mm. be free for all um, mm. but like the guys in the middle and at the bottom are probably earning what you would really earn if you went out and had a really good business mm. yeah I know <laughs> yeah. for what no pension I know, I but, know. Um, <laughs> tell annual, me this annual leave <laughs> what about the movies do you watch do you watch this sort of stuff or are you yeah. <coughs> what other movies have you got in the list The Godfather The Godfather which one two. one and two yeah not three uh, we did that's an interesting movie oh yeah look he is an interesting character a really interesting character because he started off not wanting anything to do with the family business yes. and he was dragged in through someone getting hurt yeah you know and the family member being killed and well the dragged. family was actually attacked yeah and, it's like one of those movies, every time you look at it, you see a different thing and you see a different reason. And the last, this time I watched it with Michael, and maybe it's the same as yourself, I probably watched The Godfather when I was much younger mm. and took a different attitude mm. to it. But this time, I actually don't know whether Michael was all that innocent to begin with. I think he, it didn't take much for, to bring him back in. It was mm. the family were attacked and maybe the, the money mm. was threatened yeah. so maybe I've got more cynical and yeah, yeah. another, another yeah, example of an immigrant family and they're, they're illegal but they're trying to get into the legitimate yeah, succeed yeah. you know they're trying to get into the docks and you know the, 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 the legitimate businesses and make themselves look legitimate you know but when you think about when they kind of they took over the guard from the Irish gangsters after the Valentine's Day massacre when there was Irish gangsters and they were kind of more or less ambushed and there were about 10 of them murdered up against the wall and that was like the arrival of the American Italian, you know? Mm. And then they took over the kind of gangs as well, you know? So it, it's, it's, I'd be always interested in it from a historical side of it mm. and a social, mm. cultural side of it as well, you know? Because I know it is a dramatisation but they are based on real events yeah, they are, and real yeah. families and real situations, you know? Of course, my favourite was Pulp Fiction. I mean, I just think yeah. that is sort of, yeah. it's sort of light relief. What about Goodfellas? <laughs> You're in the middle of, yeah, yeah with Goodfellas. He's alive yeah. as well. And Henry Winter. Yeah. 
Is yeah, he? He's done. He's done a lot is of media. He? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he, he was a very, very good actor as well. He played an amazing yeah. part. He actually died too. a few weeks ago, Ray Liotta. Mm. Really? And then there was yeah, a couple of kind of the grimmest yeah. one I saw was City of City of God. That's the Brazilian one. Yeah. That's a good oh. film. It is a very good film, but yeah. it's like oh, it's a bit depressing. Very depressing. It's very realistic, yeah. isn't it? Just I'll stick to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> City of Angels about the children gangs in the favelas in Brazil, you know, but it's pure abject poverty, like, but a lot of violence and abuse and stuff going on there, mm. you know. Sometimes I tend to turn things off like that mm. because it did, it, it, it could be um, <clears throat> too much, too heavy, you know. Or sometimes when one of, the, one of these uh, mafia films is too tense, yeah. kind of, as you're here too long, it's Get that off! I'm not for this for the rest of the night. So I just like, but I, I like um, watching. Like the the Godfather was definitely probably the best one ever made mm. because of the the storyline to it. The family coming to America from Italy, the poverty, how they worked his way up, you know, how they had nothing, and um, how they tried to structure the business side of it, and then uh, towards the end. But it was never going to work out. Never. No, none of these things. You know, no. It was no. never going to work out because it's like the law of karma. Mm. There was too much bad done. It could never... It, there was too many people after being hurt, good, innocent people after being hurt, for for it, for them to ever go on Does and have I totally it. believe the law of karma? Oh. Well, I tried to, anyway. <laughs> I tried to anyway. Like I, 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 I'd like to. Mm. Uh, I really would. Well, like I, you, you get what you put out there. Basically, I think. Yeah. Like if, 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 like I tried to live my life as, as today. I live my life as, as honest as I can. You know, I, I've, I, I, I don't hurt anybody intentionally. Mm. I'm not out there hurting anyone physically or mentally anymore. You know, um, I have a good relationship with my wife. You know, and my kids and. And James and when and you think about it, like everybody that's in relation. When we were living our lives in a negative way, yeah. what did we ever get for it? Yeah. Fucking nothing but misery. Yeah. And you know, when you turn your life around and you say, you know what, I mightn't have as much, but I'm going to be legitimate and I can stand over it and rest easy. We have to get loads of opportunities organically mm. come your way. So it's, I think, I, I believe, what Timmy believes as well, is like, if you're a good person, good things will happen for you mm. and people will see the authenticity in you and they'll try to help you and they'll open doors for you and give you opportunities. And that's our experience. I'll give you a good answer to that one. Okay. <laughs> right. You, you, when stuff comes into my life, stuff, uh, emotional stuff, situations from the past, I, it's my belief when they do come in, that stuff is there to for me to help me to grow. Okay, no matter what it is, it might, there might be a lot of fear around it, and I'm being helped to understand fear a little bit more and dive deep into fear a little more. There might be shame, st other stuff. There might be f uh, guilt, you know. And every time that stuff comes up, it allows me to go deeper into that stuff and feel it. Whereas when I was young, I never got an opportunity to to be able to process all these things. Whereas now, I do process them. And it's my belief that when we keep going on this journey, the personal growth journey, development journey, whatever it may be, and we keep strengthening ourselves and, and fear doesn't have the grip that it used to have and guilt and shame and all these things, I believe it, it won't really matter what goes on in your life. You'll be able to handle every, everything that comes your way and, 
and like and that in, in includes karma as well mm. you know stuff that will come up you're able to process these things and and like I think everybody's aim and goal is to get to a place where we can process things manageably without having to go and pick something up to suit ourselves in a glass yeah, yeah. or throw something down our throat or up our nose, you know, or into our, our arms, you know, and, and that's and that's my goal, you know, mm. and to be able to teach my kids the same thing. Don't get it right all the time, but I do try. I always think karma's coming at me, you see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm the one that's going to be hit in the face with it, but... No, no listen, if you're, you do things with the best of intentions and yeah. I think we'll be all right, you know. I think everybody, <coughs> everybody does... Every they, they they do things like when when they really when you take your ego back out of the equation, okay, and you look at the reality of the situation, and if there's people who are completely innocent involved in this situation and they're being hurt, and and you believe you've an opportunity to do the right thing, there's no question you have to do the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and that might even be going against yourself and or something that you've been. You know, it's something that may even hurt you in the long run. You know, because uh, I think that's 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 massive change for us as human and, beings. And karma actually comes from the the Sikh religion as well. I'm sure, but they also believe in reincarnation. And when you think about reincarnation, it's like you you're, you you die and then you come back as something else. But life it never ends, never ends. But how you break that cycle and their belief is that you have to give you have to become present in yourself, give up worldly possessions and all that kind of consumer stuff and all that stuff, all the external stuff and just become present. And when you get to that place then you break the cycle of reincarnation and then, then you can go in peace. So they don't want to come back? No. The goal the goal and that's At why peace. It's like you're Constantly reliving your lives so you can heal yourself from oh, the, the, oh. the traumas like, and the, the, the generational stuff. Sort of different books. Yeah, no. But do you know what? Now I finished a book recently, the history, a little history of religion, but it was fascinating. Mm. But it gives you a, a good kind of a good uh, introduction to all the different religions. But that's where he was, he was talking about that, and it was like the goal for the for those Eastern philosophies. It's all about you know, meditation and being present. But that's what they're trying to achieve. They're trying to break that cycle of reincarnation coming and going, coming and going, because it never ends. Mm-hmm. And what you want is to become still, and that's where the, why meditation is so strong over in the, over in the subcontinent, really, over in India. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we do. Lads, thank you very much. You're very welcome. You've been listening to the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, only on Crime World. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.